Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Hello and welcome to episode 227 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle and this is the third episode of February 2018 and our Daikaiju discussion for the brand new animated entry in the Godzilla franchise, Godzilla Monster Planet. Now later on, I'm going to be joined by Clancy and Tiger and we are going to be talking about this film just after we watch it, like our standard discussion. In the meantime, however, I have been mulling over my thoughts about this entry and its place in both the Godzilla franchise and this first iteration of our Daikaiju discussion episodes. And it's going to be a very, very, very long time before we get a chance to talk about any of these animated films again, at least in any sort of official kaiju cast capacity. As such, I thought I'd spend a little extra time tonight diving into the same kind of info that I would start including in this next evolution of our discussions. And as such, this episode will not have any news or catastrophic events. In fact, it's just going to be about Godzilla Monster Planet. But for now, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussion. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. This month, we are talking about Godzilla Planet of the Monsters, a.k.a. Godzilla Monster Planet. Also known, of course, in Japan as Gojira Kaiju Wakuse. This movie was released on November 17th, 2017 in Japan in theaters. And then on January 17th, all across the globe, Netflix added it to their service so everybody in the world could see Godzilla Monster Planet. Dateline Tokyo, August 2016. While Shin Godzilla was busy receiving accolades and winning awards after its 2016 debut, Toho ups the ante and announces a project never before attempted, a fully animated Godzilla movie that will be released in 2017, close to just a year after releasing Shin Godzilla. Uh, Now, shortly after that, we began seeing lots of news stories about how Toho was not going to be able to do any sequels to Shin Godzilla because of their agreement with Legendary Pictures, who are, of course, at this time, producing two more films in a Godzilla series. According to an interview in Da Vinci Magazine with the directors and screenwriter, Godzilla Monster Planet was originally planned as a TV series of 30-minute episodes that would later be turned into a movie. However, the runaway success of Shin Godzilla motivated the studio to move the story to feature status right away. Then, after that, this was announced to be a trilogy of animated films. So, Godzilla Monster Planet is just the first. The second one is going to be involving Mechagodzilla and is scheduled to be released in May of this year. Originally, I thought it was March, but I was mistaken. Now, as someone who's been following the Godzilla series for quite some time, I must say I wasn't totally surprised when they announced an animated movie 
I mean, it's honestly one of those things that I feel Toho probably should have attempted at some point up until this time. So I actually think it was smart for Toho to announce these animated movies because, of course, like we just said, they can't make any more live-action films, and Shin Godzilla was a big hit. And also, if you don't recall, the 2014 Legendary Godzilla was also a big hit. So Toho really does want to ride that wave of success into a sort of new era of Godzilla movies. Now, in my preparation for this episode, I thought it would be kind of cool to do like sort of a brief recap of this story. But the longer I thought about it, the more complicated I felt that this story was. So instead of giving this a super brief, glossed over synopsis, I'm going to do my best to sort of retell the storyline of Godzilla Monster Planet. After 30 years of countless devastating kaiju attacks, humanity is faced with their greatest threat, a seemingly indestructible colossal kaiju, Godzilla, who lays waste to cities and countries during his rampage across the globe. In the immediate years following Godzilla's appearance, alien vessels from two separate races appear in the atmosphere, offering salvation both spiritual and in the extermination of Godzilla. But after withstanding several major attacks, it's very clear that nothing can be done to rid our planet of the King of the Monsters. Evacuation is the only option for humanity, so they take to the stars in search of a new place to call home. The next 20 years take a pretty horrific toll on humanity. Starvation, depression, and sickness wipe out large numbers of the race. The remnants of humans, Exifs, and Bilasaludo, those are the aliens, they arrive at a crossroads, and this is where the movie really begins. In the planetary orbit of Tau Ceti, the security crew of the Aratrum stops a hot-headed human named Haruo Sakaki, who has taken it upon himself to expose a conspiracy. He's taken into custody and thrown into the brig with a perfectly clear view of a shuttle full of old people as it explodes over the planet, and Sakaki screams in his cell. Without any other options, the humans have decided to return to Earth. Using the Exif's warp technology, they arrive back in the orbit of Mother Earth, but 20,000 years have passed. The Earth has been overrun with vegetation and, as the title of the movie suggests, populated with monsters. Soon after their arrival, the landing party is attacked by a flock of flying kaiju known here as Servum. Afterwards, it's theorized that the Servum are actually related to Godzilla. Once Godzilla is discovered, the humans decide that their only option is to try and defeat him with a bold new plan to disable his defenses by firing a proton torpedo into a small exhaust port that leads directly into the reactor, and... Wait, that is the Death Star. The plan here is to trap Godzilla, attack him, record the harmonic frequency at which his electromagnetic shield is generated and disable the singular dorsal plate where the shield begins. Then, before his regeneration powers kick in, they'll shove EMP probes into his body, disabling the monster. Now, while they suffer some casualties, that plan is actually a success. Sakaki and his team blow the dorsal plate, launch the probes into Godzilla's body, and before he can fire off one last devastating blast, he explodes into a bazillion pieces. Godzilla is destroyed. Or is he? While the survivors are sort of celebrating and reviewing the battle, the ground begins to tremble, 
Gamatron readings are off the charts, and a Godzilla larger than anyone could have predicted literally erupts from the Earth. The film ends with a cliffhanger and a prophetic declaration from the Exophalian Metfis. When those fleeting lives destined to die become arrogant and sing praises of their own narcissistic glory, such will shake the very heavens and split the earth, and they shall come to know the wrath of the divine. <laughs> the incarnation of destruction. You've shown yourself at last. For you, it's been 20,000 years. So who actually made this movie? We like to discuss these creators whenever we know about their works, but this is such a new film, and with a creative team that I'm pretty much 100% unfamiliar with. And while I know there's a fair amount of crossover between anime fans and kaiju fans, I thought it would be a good idea to cover some of these names that I continued to see bandied about in articles revolving around Godzilla Monster Planet. We will start with the writer, Jen Urobochi. He's about the same age as I am. He was born in 72, became a writer after graduating from Tokyo's Wako University. Uh, he was responsible for creating the original story and the screenplay. And in Japan, Urobochi is respected for his new approach to modern storytelling in conventional genres. Now, that is a direct quote that I got from uh, some webpage. I did a bad job of noting that. But Netflix says that Uroboshi is a writer known to his large and loyal fan base as a master of meticulous and unpredictable storytelling laced with powerful ideas. His wildly popular works include 2012's Psychopaths and 2013's Gargantia, of which Kotaku has some very good things to say, calling it one of five animes you should be watching. Also, he worked on Kamen Rider Game. Gaim? I'm not exactly sure how to say that, but it's from 2014 and is the 24th Common Writer series. Next up is Kobun Shizuno, who is the director. Now, he might be best known for his animated interpretation of Knights of Sidonia, which is a super sci-fi mecha manga series, or maybe his work on the Detective Conan films. I think he may have worked on the Japanese release of G.I. Joe Sigma-6 and the Giant Robo OVA. That shout-out is for Jeff Zorno. And he was also a co-director on Evangelion 1.0 You Are Not Alone. The point is, he's been in the game and around the anime block for quite a while. Rounding out this trio of Japanese names is CGI director Hiroyuki Seshida. His credits include director and supervising director of Knights of Sidonia, Battle for Planet 9, Ajin, Demi-Human, and Blame. When asked about developing Godzilla for an animated endeavor, he said... It was easy to imagine how hard the challenge would be, including how to visualize the beauty of tokusatsu, the stylized special effects which are essential to Godzilla, in an anime adaptation. If you were asked, can you adapt Kabuki into a musical, you'd probably think it'd be too difficult. However, if you were asked, can you create a musical that tells people who are unfamiliar with Kabuki about what Kabuki is and make them interested in it, you are very likely to think that there might be a way to do that, don't you? The stylized beauty of Godzilla isn't readily adaptable into anime. However, I thought it might be doable depending on how I approached it. So I accepted the offer. 
Last but not least in this panel of creators is Polygon Pictures. You guys know this, I am not an anime guy. I'm only now just really starting to dip my toes into some movies and television series, but that's because I'm also sampling a lot more Japanese media in general. So while I don't have any direct connection to Polygon, or so I thought, I was surprised to see such a large volume of work on their website. They embraced CGI animation early, like in the 2000s, and in 2002 they created a CGI animated kaiju for Ultraman Cosmos 2, The Blue Planet. In 2003 they assisted with some CGI effects in the live-action Ultraman Cosmos vs. Ultraman Justice, The Final Battle, and they did the opening titles to Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, in 2004. Now those are just the titles of stuff I recognize. The aforementioned Knights of Sidonia, which were also a popular manga series, uh, that was also created by Polygon. The big surprise for me was finding out that this company animated the Star Wars series Clone Wars. Now Tiger and I went to go see the Clone Wars movie when it came out, which was actually, the, that came out before the TV show. And while I was originally put off by the Clone Wars animation, like the polygons and the, the way that they were making their models look, I couldn't help but notice like the subtle textures, the brushwork. You'll hear me and Tiger talk about that in the actual discussion too. But the artistry that was wrapped around these 3D models, and that was really all I needed to sway my opinion of that 3D Star Wars world. So it turns out that Polygon Pictures, who I initially wasn't very impressed with, I am now, of course, very impressed with, and that doesn't even really have to do with the fact that they made a Godzilla movie. But we'll get to that in a bit. Let's talk about some familiar faces. Well, there really are no familiar faces in this movie, at least not that I could see. One, everybody's animated. Two, all the Japanese actors who are in this, I didn't recognize any of their names, and I kind of assume that that's because they are voice actors. Regardless... There is one name I recognized when looking at the creators of this film, and that is Takayuki Hattori. We'll be talking a little bit about the soundtrack during the discussion of the film itself, but one of the things I wanted to bring up was that Hattori-san has worked pretty steadily in the anime and film industry since the 1990s. His list of works on myanimelist.net is quite impressive. Obviously, the reason he's a recognizable name for Godzilla fans, Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla, and Godzilla Millennium. I don't adore his work in those movies, but I will admit that I found the soundtracks serviceable, and I didn't think that they detracted from the overall movie-watching experience. That said, I do believe that if you asked me to guess who scored Godzilla Monster Planet after seeing the film, hypothetically removing the information from my brain, I probably would have guessed Hattori. I really feel like I could hear his style in the film. Hattori also branches out from his previous Godzilla entries with some very electronic and sometimes rock-infused and very dissonant themes. Overall, the soundtrack might be a fairly passive portrayal of the Godzilla anime story, but I don't hate it. Anyway, it was really nice to see a familiar name amongst the credits. Speaking of Takeyuki Hattori, let's actually hear Godzilla Monster Planet's theme.
Tiger Yount. Mm-hmm. What do you like better, Monster Planet or Planet of Monsters? You know, I think both are about the same. Uh, Monster <laughs> Planet is is really simple. It, it's got a simplistic tone to it. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really... I mean, it adds a little bit, but, you know, Planet of Monsters works, too. So, really, there's nothing... I don't see anything wrong with either of them. Okay. Well, so. welcome back to the show, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a long time. It's been a while. I feel like the last time I had you on was... Were you on for the Godzilla, the 2014 discussion? Nah, man, I was here for Gorgo. Gorgo? Uh, yeah. Gorgo. Gorgo, yeah. All right. Well, that wasn't too long ago, no, but no. anyway, uh, welcome back. Thank you. Clancy Peterson is also here. Hello, kids. Kids, welcome back to Clancy. <laughs> this is a really unique time in Kaiju Cast history because this is the first time we've covered a brand new Godzilla movie and... People haven't shown up, basically. Clancy's the only one of the normal crew that was like, give me some of that Godzilla anime action, which is quite literally shocking. I don't understand what's happening. Like, dissension in the ranks. I I can only think it's anime. That's really the only thing I can really see. Yeah. Okay, so quick question. Clancy, uh, we're sort of doing this a little bit differently this time because it's brand new, and I I know that I actually want to talk about it a lot more than... I normally would, in a standard discussion, like, you know, these movies you've seen hundreds of times before. How much anime have you watched? Um, more than I would say your average person. Okay. Um, I don't regularly regularly watch anime. All right. Um, but I have some of my collection. Some of my favorites would uh, definitely be uh, like Cowboy Bebop. That is probably what I would rank up at the top. Right on. Um, I've heard of Cowboy Bebop. That was on, what is that, Toonami? Uh, I'm not sure where it aired. I just have the DVDs for it. But anyway, yeah. But yeah, it is It is like a, a television series versus a movie. There is a film, but it was a, like a 30-minute uh, okay. show. Anything uh, else other than Cowboy Bebop? Uh, yeah, I dig the uh, Golgo 13. I don't know if you've seen that or remember the old NES game, The Man with the Custom M16. A very popular... No, that one uh, does not sound familiar. Yeah, it was a very popular ma- manga quite a long time ago in Japan, and it's basically ruthless you know mercenary type hitman character uh duke togo <laughs> <laughs> so what you wait what year because i know that um the first one you said uh was a recent anime i mean i shouldn't say recent right because that's probably cowboy bebop has got to be in the 90s yeah I, I think cowboy bebop is newer than um gogo 13 but uh i'm not quite sure if gogo 13 is 80s for the manga or if it's even earlier, but the uh, the video game NES was obviously um, in the 80s, so it had to have come out before that. And then the series itself that I've watched is a mm-hmm. little newer. What about you, Tiger? How about your anime expertise? Not expertise, because obviously I don't think you'd call yourself an anime expert. But Absolutely not. What kind of like experience have you had or exposure have you had to anime? So... Obviously, um, Pompoko, which is the studio Ghibli film. Oh, yeah, all the Ghibli films, yeah, pretty the, much. All yeah. the Ghibli films. I mean, for a while, I was like, is it, is it an anime, though? Like, um, but it was like, there was like a weird complexion to it, but I guess, I guess it is. So I kind of just saw it as its own thing, you know, in like, yeah, like, ah, it's Ghibli. It's not anime, it's Ghibli, even though it doesn't really mean much. Pompoko was my favorite movie ever, even though like Inglorious Bastards is like right behind it by like an inch. <laughs> it's like just, just standing there. Really, I haven't seen that much. I've seen okay. So outside of the Studio Ghibli stuff, sure. Like uh, I've seen like Ghost in the Shell. That's a okay. That has my favorite movie opening of all time. 
And I seen I saw your name on a plane one time. That was pretty interesting. Oh, I've I have not seen that yet. It's on my list of things to see, but that was honestly like uh Shin Godzilla and your name last or in 2017, yeah, last yeah, year. Right. Cuz that was or cause... 2016 maybe. They were they were getting lots of awards at the same time. True. So clearly none of us are major anime heads. No. I, I yeah, I would not be able to <laughs> ace the trivia questions on anime. I've mostly stuck to the ones that uh were quite popular at least for, you know, the stuff like uh no, why am I drawing a blank all of a sudden? Um, that huge one from the 90s uh, with Shinji and the robots and... Oh, oh, uh, Evangelion. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I've, I hit those kind of things, but... Um, and I do have ones that I enjoy watching, but it's not it's not a passion. Okay. I, I think the good ones are good, and then if someone wants to recommend stuff, I'll watch it, but... Yeah, so for me... I don't watch anime and there's, there is absolutely like some sort of stigma in my brain that lives there and says, eh, no, anime, gross. Cause knows it's for me. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is like for a long time, anime, I associated anime with over dramatic characters always. And I still kind of do like when I watched the live action attack on Titan, I was like, yeah, this feels feels very anime in spirit in terms of like the way people were acting and <laughs> like literally like one guy was in a uh an abandoned building playing a piano with light raining down and like little flower petals coming down and I was like yep this feels like a live action anime to me but I don't have very much experience with it so when they announced that this movie was going to be an anime I was very skeptical, but at the same time, I was very interested in seeing what they could do with the medium, really, you know? So what were your initial thoughts when you heard that they were going to do an anime Godzilla? I was excited about it. I definitely leaned towards more being a fan of the live action films. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't going as crazy as I did when I heard about Shin Godzilla being in the works, but I'm all for them trying new things and I actually was introduced to Godzilla because of that wonderful, uh, you know, Godzilla and Godzuki um, oh, yeah, yeah. old cartoon. So it's not unfamiliar to me to have like an animated Godzilla. So I was like, yeah, go for it. What about you, Tiger? I pretty much had a very minimal reaction almost mm -hmm. where I was interested in it. Like the Shin Godzilla thing interested me more because it was like the first Godzilla movie in like what, 10 years? Yeah, something. from Japan. Yeah, yeah from Japan. Of course, but and then hearing about the Godzilla anime, it kind of just felt like uh, I was like that, that looks more like a direct to DVD sort of thing, like that just doesn't really seem something super excited to get about. So it doesn't seem yeah. like a next big step. No, it not sort really. Of seems it like just a it felt like more like a down. like a, like if you heard like a spinoff movie got announced, I felt something like that where you're just like, oh, that's okay. Uh, like it wasn't like bring anything like super new to the table. I brought an like I brought the uh, animated style to the table, obviously, but. I think other than that, my initial reaction was just like, all right, let's see, let's see where this goes. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things for me where I, I, uh, I understand that things have to evolve in order to appeal to a larger audience or continue to appeal to a larger audience, which is one of the reasons why I think the first Showa era series eventually just fizzled out. You know, it was, 
there was at that time there was probably no way for them to really advance the character. I mean, I, I don't know. Who knows? That's a completely separate conversation anyway. Uh, we are here to talk about the Godzilla anime. And so what I wanted to do before we really go watch the movie is actually something that I'm going to need to go get a drink for. So let's listen to the trailer and I'll be right back. Where's mom and dad? It's Godzilla! Godzilla's here! At an early age, I was robbed of my parents right in front of my eyes. I swore to take revenge. If we stand our ground, if we don't show fear, and if we put our lives on the line, we've already won. We just have to finish it. Humanity's 22-year nightmare and Godzilla's 20,000-year reign. Okay, I found a video called The Anime Godzilla Timeline, and it was done by the people who do Wikizilla. So I was very kind of uh, wary of what it was going to be like, and it was a really, really well-produced video. I'm not going to go through everything, because I honestly think that everybody should go check this video out, because they deserve the views after putting this much time and effort into it. This timeline was built through the prequel novel from Japan, which is called Godzilla Monster Apocalypse, the theater program, and the investigation report posted on GodzillaAnime.com. Okay? <clears throat> I almost feel like I should give it a dramatic voice. In 1999, <laughs> Kamakaris attacks New York City, and then there are a slew of monster attacks throughout the years, almost kind of like the Pacific Rim timeline that happened in the book but didn't get shown in the movie. And the choices of some of these kaiju are actually pretty cool, in my opinion. So, Dogura attacks London in 2002. Kamibas uh, are attacking, and these are multiple monsters sometimes, okay? Kamibas from Yogg, space monster, the turtle guy. In 2005, Angulus appears in Siberia and Rodan appears at the China-Korea border. And then they do battle in Beijing. And in order to combat that battle, the Chinese government unleashes something called Operation Hedera. He goes into what these things are. I'm trying to keep a little mystique for Wikizilla. In 2006, Angulus appears. Angulus 2 appears in South Africa. February 2012, Gabara of all kaiju <laughs> appears uh, in the Mediterranean. The Earth starts fighting back, and the USS Saratoga kills a third Ebira. Then you get in November 2017, Dagarla. Who knows Dagarla? 
What monster is Degarla? I don't know that one. Tiger? Nada. Okay. Mothra 2, the sort of like water dragon kaiju that Mothra fights in that movie that has the little starfish that come off called the Barum. There is this whole thing where Degarla shows up and the Barum end up killing so many people. All of these are associated with like hundreds of thousands of deaths of humanity, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, as this is going through... They sort of tell you how many people are left on the earth at the, you know, at any given time. And so that's 2017. I thought this was interesting. June 2021, the griffin attacks Egypt. And in the video, he shows the griffin from latitude zero, which is the lion with the wings. <laughs> like it's really interesting, but I'm wondering, honestly, if the filmmakers included the Griffin as the monster from the unmade Godzilla movie, the U.S. Godzilla movie. Mm. Did you ever read about that? Are you talking about the first 3D? I think it was the 3D like one. 1980. Ah, it's too bad Brian's not here. He yeah. would be able to tell me exactly which one it was. But basically, there's a Godzilla treatment, a script. And I think they actually were beginning pre-production on that film. And the monster was called the griffin, and it sort of absorbed other creatures and turned into kind of like a bat-like thing, and then it turned into a big sort of kaiju monster. Anyway, so I thought that was interesting, that the griffin was made into a reference in this stuff. Anyway, Megalon comes around in 2022. Orga shows up in 2022. Manda appears in 2022. Magma from Gorath is one of the kaiju that they chose. It's really... Very interesting. Odaku, the big gigantic octopus. Okay, and then in May 29th, 2030, a dead Kamibus is found on Odo Island, and a professor names the killer Godzilla after a local superstition, which I thought was super cool, right? Uh, and then late 2030, Godzilla appears in Los Angeles and kills Angulus, Varan, and Baragon, which is that original story of GMK. So it's kind of like they're putting all these awesome nods into the prehistory of this movie already, and I'm kind of loving it more. And then December of 2031, Godzilla lands in Seattle, making his way southeast into Colorado Springs, which it's too bad our, our previous residents of Colorado are not here to, to ooh and ah at the idea of their neck of the woods being destroyed by Godzilla. Uh, at which point, the government detonates 150 nuclear warheads, totaling 40 megatons of power. Godzilla, unscathed, walks back into the Gulf of Mexico. Kumanga and Kamakuras attacks. In 2034, Godzilla destroys most of Western Europe before disappearing for quite some time. Then the aliens appear, right? So now we're sort of like getting... there. Obviously, things from the movie are appearing in this timeline. Uh, the XF aliens appear. Then the Bilu Saludo aliens the following year. That very same year, Megagirus and Rodan flocks appear. Can you imagine a flock of Rodans? Yes. I can, and it would be rather awesome. I would love to see it, but from afar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they prey on Siberia. And 2039, an Earth Union is formed with the aliens, and they also make G-Force, and they build the Goten, which is an Atragon reference, uh, and that is launched into the Atlantic to destroy the kaiju there, one of which is Manda. Cool. So they're making all these awesome references in the 
the pre-production stuff. And I was, uh, you know, the whole reason I even wanted to see what this stuff was about is because I don't have any books about this. I don't yeah, have yeah. any any lore about this universe. And I went to go looking for what's called a MOOC, which is a magazine book over there, and they didn't publish anything for this movie. It's kind of a bummer. You said earlier that it was that they pulled this video from a a book that was published in Japan. Yeah. Is it just a straight up novel or Yeah, it's a it's like a prequel novel called Godzilla Monster Apocalypse and it's in Japanese. So whoever did the translating or whoever did the the reading and then the spitting up of this information, you know, kudos. Thank you so much for doing that because this I find this stuff intriguing and it makes me wish I could actually read it. Yeah. Too bad Netflix didn't publish that. <clears throat> Netflix, get on that. Anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So Goten goes into the Atlantic to defeat Manda. G-Force launches Mogera, which battles Biollante. <laughs> and then the French military mistakenly identify Godzilla, but really they killed Zilla. Oh, okay. Right? So another nod to the French nonsense in the 98 Godzilla. But Zilla eggs hatch and overrun an entire French city called Rouen. And then Gorosaurus appears in Paris, which is where the Arc de Trump is. So uh, that happens. And then there's something called Operation Great Wall, which I think is in China. Get a guess. Where 2,000 warheads are detonated near the Himalayas, opening a fault and trapping Godzilla underground. But the following year, he escapes using his atomic breath. Then the uh, Bila Saludo and Earth team up and build Mechagodzilla in January of 2046. And they do that in Japan. That same, then two months later, Godzilla attacks Hamamatsu, Japan, which is where they are. And Mechagodzilla won't activate and is abandoned. Then in 2048, humans flee the planet. 22 years later, they arrive at a planet called Tau Seti E. And they determine they, they cannot actually survive there. And that's when they decide to head back to Earth. So that sort of brings us up to speed, sort of gives you a little bit of backstory, but not too much, hopefully. And let's go watch the movie. All right, so we are now back from watching Godzilla Monster Planet, and I must ask, Clancy, how many times have you seen this now? Uh, this is the second time that I've watched it. All right, okay, so initial reactions, are they any different than your actual initial reaction the first time you saw it? The first time I watched it, I watched it with the uh, subtitles. So it was kind of tough, actually, with how much dialogue is going on in the film mm -hmm. Yeah, to really stop and appreciate some of the visuals, especially like when it kicks off at the beginning of the film and it's like showing all the cool little snapshots of the other monsters. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the flashback I'm sitting or, there, you know, prologue. Yeah. Sequence. Wanting to watch that, but at the same time, trying to read all the text going across the screen. So this time around, it was kind of enjoyable. Because the dub wasn't bad, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's bad dub. Yeah, I mean, I, I prefer to watch films. I mean, not always. I guess there's all. It, it just depends on the movie. Um, but I do typically watch Godzilla films with the Japanese language track. Um, but I've also seen them so many times. True, true. So for something like this, I actually did have a little more of a enjoyable time actually getting to sit and 
focus on, especially with an an animated film to focus on the actual visual aspect of the film. And then, I mean, the story is still fairly dense. So even with that English language, it's still kind of, I don't want to say tough to follow. Right. Um, I mean, at times I do actually, it it is a little tough to follow. I I think it's, I think the minutia is tough to follow. Like if you're not expecting them to throw a a religious angle at you in like this next scene, then all of a sudden they're talking about, you know, the path of the righteous or whatever. Then it's like, whoa, whoa. I forgot all about all that stuff because we don't have, in my opinion, we didn't get, you know, saturated with enough information going into it but it, uh, the world building I, I'm into the world building for this for sure yeah well and the other thing I will say is um, I watched it the day that it was released I believe or maybe the day after mm-hmm. but it was still enough time that um, a lot of people had already watched it and uh, so it was impossible to avoid like a Facebook social media feed filling sure, up with yeah, yeah, yeah. opinions yeah so yeah. You know, I'm sitting there and just seeing a lot because the, the tough thing is, is that I don't, I don't know if it's just a human function, like it's who we are or who I am, but it, that negative aspect kind of stands out compared to yeah, the positive. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm sitting there the day of and just like, even without trying to see it, I'm seeing people that didn't like the film, not only commenting once, but on every <laughs> single post. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, this is kind of a bummer. Um, it didn't affect, like, I almost actually probably liked the movie a little more because of that. Because um, I'm kind of watching it going, I don't really see the what's so bad about it. Also, um, it probably lowered your expectations quite a bit. Probably, yeah. yeah. But it, it did kill a bit of the excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, when comparing, you know, initial viewing versus this viewing, now that everyone's had time to breathe and people are kind of, watching it once twice you know um there really was none of that we just came sat down and watched the film and i wasn't even really thinking about what other people's opinions were it was just gonna sit down and enjoy it so so did you like it better this time around or did you do you still hold it around the same as you did on your first viewing i probably did enjoy it a little bit more this time around i enjoyed it on my initial viewing Mm -hmm. um but no, I definitely was focusing more on the film this time and knew what to expect. You know, when Godzilla is going to show up, you yeah. know, you know, the, the beats of the film from a, so I could, I could actually kind of like focus on some of the stuff that I wanted to think about. Totally. Yeah. 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 That's, I, I mean, obviously I love watching Godzilla multiple times every, every movie. So, uh, I completely agree with that. Tiger, how about you, man? I can't remember. Did you watch this before or you did not? I couldn't remember. I did. I did watch this before, okay. uh, I think about a day or so before it came out. Like, or, sorry, after it came out. Cool. So yeah. did you have a better experience this time or last time? How did you like the film on your first viewing? My original reaction in the first viewing was, that was all right. And then the second viewing was, that was all right, but I think I liked it a little more. Cool, cool. Normally, I go for a subtitled approach towards movies. I think I'm mostly fine with them. Like, I'm fine with just reading words on a screen and do that. But for this movie, there is a lot of exposition that, especially as Clancy mentioned in the very first, like, act of the movie with the opening and stuff. 
and like I didn't even know, know there were two races in the beginning. In the first oh, movie. Yeah, right? I didn't even realize that you brought it up. And I'm like, wait, there's two? I just thought there was just the one. So I've watched the movie. I think this is my fourth time watching it. The first time I literally, as I mentioned in the last episode, I woke up and I sat down as soon as I could, like uh, as soon as I woke up on Wednesday, the 17th to watch this when I was in Japan. And then I know I watched it again while I was there. And I think the first time I watched it with subtitles, the second time I watched it dubbed. And then I watched it again. I started watching it again with subtitles. And then as I was watching it, I realized, man, this, like, like Clancy mentioned, the dialogue is so dense and they're using so much like sci-fi speak. How would I say this? I was having trouble piecing together a larger image, you know, of what they were talking about. And so for that reason alone, I actually think that as I'm trying to understand the worlds that they live in and the what they're building for this universe, I think it's better for me to watch the dubbed version just to get that sort of like layering effect. However, this is the first of a trilogy, so the next the next installment I thought came out in March, so I was looking forward to seeing it next month, but I guess it's actually May. And I love this movie on some levels, and I don't like it on other levels, but overall, I was definitely happier with it than I was expecting to be, just because, as I sort of mentioned, my expectations had been lowered. Instead of addressing what we liked and what we didn't like, I thought it would be kind of cool, since this is a brand new film, to talk a little bit about the different aspects of this film. So we're going to cover animation, uh, or at least the style of animation, the soundtrack, and the dub. Uh, we're going to cover production slash character slash creature design and in turn some world building there. And then I want to talk to these guys about the tone of the film and how they sort of felt about it overall. Um, now, back to the beginning of that list, the animation style. This is obviously a movie that is supposed to look like a 2D animated film, but it was actually I can't remember what the term is for it. But basically, it's a 3D built engine that displays things that look like 2d do you know the term for that tiger no it's got it's got a name i swear i should know it's not shell shaded it's not not so it's not cell shading that's not what it's called i don't, I don't think that's what that's no. well whatever this actual i mean i'm not going to try and figure out exactly how polygon pictures does this but this is a trend that apparently has been taking off and then i guess it's much easier to do than standard 2d animation um that being said i don't really care for this look because what it does is it sort of tricks me. Yeah. And then after a minute, my brain goes, oh, wait, that moved like a CGI 3D object. And it sort of take it does actually take me out of the movie a little bit when I'm watching it. How did you feel about the animation style, Clancy? Yeah, there really was. Um, there's moments where I'm sitting there enjoying it immensely, but then there's other things that just happen. And I don't know if it's facial movements or... Um, or something else, but I, I found myself even more so the first time this time, I just kind of really, I think once you're used to it, it's easier not to focus on it. Sure. Yeah. But when I was watching it the first time, I'm just kind of like some of this, it was giving me flashbacks to that like nineties, uh, computer animated show. Yeah. Reboot, which is <laughs> reboot, not, that's funny. Not a compliment. <laughs> no, it's not. And, um, and it, and there is another, I mean, I'm also coming to this as someone who loves 2d animation mm -hmm. of the old style. Sure, so like, yeah. um, 
like even just sitting there watching something like say like the uh one that jumps into my head like an old the original winnie the pooh film mm-hmm. where you're sitting there watching this movie and seeing pencil marks that make the way their way into the film um you know the actual human aspect to it um, yeah, the flaws right? yeah yeah and i mean that's what that's what i love when it comes to animation so i'm always going to be a little more judgmental but af- after multiple viewings i can at least appreciate some of the the aspects of the animation here and while i don't 100 percent love everything that's going on uh, there is some beautiful stuff in there and sure, the world that they sure. created does look pretty cool, especially um, for me, at least, the, like the Godzilla stuff. Yeah, that Godzilla stuff. Tiger, what about you, man? How did you feel about the animation style in this film? So if you watch any sort of uh, 2D cartoon, like from, I would say a good example is like early 2000s. Like if you watch like the Just Sleep cartoon that aired on Cartoon Network, they use 2D animation. But they also, every once in a while, like they want to do something really complicated, like maybe like a ship flies into space or something. They will do like a 3D animation within that like 2D layer. Futurama really comes to mind when you're about what you're talking about. Uh, Yeah, totally. uh, Futurama like kind of blended it a little bit more, but I I do understand what you're talking about. I am not, I am kind of also taking this side of, I, I, I was actually expecting 2D animation when I went into this movie. I didn't see any like promo material for this at all, mm-hmm. except maybe like a poster. And even then the poster, I'm like, oh, it kind of looks like a 2D like anime thing. Okay. We'll see how that goes. And then, you know, you watch the movie and then like the first few seconds, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa what's this? What's, what, <laughs> why are they moving? Why are there shadows ever? So, so, you know, you get that initial reaction and, and, and granted, yes, it does take some time to kind of get used to just because it is like if you never watched that kind of animation style before and you're just going to into this with the expectation of I like Godzilla. This is a Godzilla thing. It, it can be a bit distracting. Uh, that being said, though, it does look nice. I'm more optimistic towards like 2D animation. I think that like there's like a little bit more like color to it and it just stands out to me more. But instead of like kind of like the realistic like 3D like shadowy stuff that just like it, it like a lot of stuff looks the same if you yeah. think about it like yeah. they ha- like a lot of stuff is white or gray or black like all their uniforms look the same and like uh, yeah if some if like someone's drawing a 2D image of uh, of a bunch of people in suits those yeah. suits aren't going to be insanely detailed you know maybe the ones up front would be insanely detailed but as you go back to uh, you know the the ranks of soldiers, they're going to get less detailed. And I feel like this type of animation, it's just like all detail all the time. Anywhere you look, there's nothing sort of like really, I'm sure they did, but like there's nothing that stands out to me that gave me any sort of like focal shifts. You know, it was all sort of like right there. Just, I mean, it was almost as if we were watching a 3d animated thing. They could have just done us like a clone wars style. Mm-hmm. Or rebel sure. style, like giving it a, giving it sort of you know a painterly look. I I would have been okay with that too, I guess. But like it's got like a brush to it. Yeah, to like make that. it look like, yeah, and that's what I love about. To be perfectly honest, that's what I loved about the 3D animation in the Clone Wars series from, obviously from Star Wars listeners. But uh, this, I, yeah, I think my brain is is like upset with it because it it feels tricked. Yeah. I, I don't like that. Well, it makes me wonder if it's that same um, that same element that happens when, uh, you know, 
I know they've done studies on humans watching computer animated special effects mm-hmm. and that there is that thing where, Oh, the uncanny Valley. Thing? The way, uh, maybe. Um, but I guess I'll just explain what I, yeah. um, but, uh, so the thing where, you know, you watch, even though it's not as real looking, if it's something that's in a suit or something that's a practical effect or something that is even an illusion that's being made like a magical trick, mm-hmm. there is still that concrete thing where your brain acknowledges that you're seeing something that exists in reality right. versus seeing something that's generated by a computer where it just automatically recognizes that as something foreign. And even if you're not thinking about it, you still are having that reaction to it. Like this is, this isn't, this isn't real. I, I know this is not right. Yeah. Something that exists. So you don't enjoy it on the same level. Does that also make it more difficult for you to like connect with the, not just the characters, but also the environments? And, yeah. I mean, yeah. I would think so. And I, and I just wonder if it's that same thing with, cause even at least when you're looking at something that was hand drawn, um, you do have that connection of s- something that was put down on sure, pencil yeah, paper. Yeah. And again, I don't want to take away from, I still think it's insanely artistic. The things that people do within uh, computer programs, it's mm-hmm. still, there totally, is something yeah. going on there between the arm of a human being, the art within their soul or whatever you want to call it. Um, that still has to happen sure. to make something that's, but, but it's still, I mean, and maybe we will even evolve where our brains start thinking about that differently, but my caveman <laughs> self is still just like, no, no, you know, I'm sure the robot overlords would love for us to, <laughs> to be able to span that uncanny Valley and, and not have that be an issue. No, I, uh, yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the disconnect is disconcerting a little bit. There was one thing I wanted to add about the animation really quickly. Sure. I did like that uh, kind of the set building they did with like, um, uh, I hope they kind of explore more in the future with this. Because like, you know, when they go back to Earth, they kind of explore in like a forest area. Like I thought it'd be cool if like they showed like uh, like more like a volcanic area or like mm. uh, like a desert, right, like yeah. a flat out desert. Like how interesting about the, if you just saw like two monsters fighting each other, like, well, obviously not going to like, well, maybe. If you saw like two monsters fighting each other in like a desert area where there's like nothing to really fall into and it's just empty. That'd be cool. Like that that'd be different. I would love to see that. I mean, if you think about how how large a planet is versus how big Godzilla is, there's a lot of room for people to maneuver. Uh, you know, like when we were we were looking at the sort of pre-production stuff from way back when, and I just remember saying to myself that that forest looks like it's been overrun by Godzilla cells. And I, I think it's weird that that's kind of what it seems like happened, you know? And yeah, I would love to really see like the, um, the writers and their reasoning for that. Like why has the planet evolved in such a way? And maybe we'll get that kind of information in the second film. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, and one final quick note before I got, before I got sidetracked, the, I think the coloring of the of the frames and whatnot were kind of interesting. Like the ship was like super like dull and gray, and like there wasn't really much life to it. And then when you get to Earth, it's a lot more colorful or more mm. of a uh, palette to it, even though it's mostly green. I still liked it. Cool. I cool. thought that. I, I thought even though it was kind of done before, I was like, ah, that works. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we could probably move from animation style and into production character and creature design. 
So I really liked the design of those ships. I thought they looked very Star Warsy. Like they definitely gave me the vibe of the rebel transports in Empire Strikes Back and uh, the subsequent films. What did you guys think about some of the character and creature and ship and sci-fi design that you got to see in this? I thought it was pretty prevalent. Uh, one of the one, uh, things that stood out to me, non-monster related, um, would have been the spacesuit design mm-hmm. that they were using. It very much made me think of a mix between something more modern or futuristic, but then like those old 50s monster movie spacesuits where they have like the glass dome yeah, yeah, on top totally, of their yeah. head. They did seem to have kind of that same height to it, but at the, but it was still different. Yeah. It just seemed like a modified build off. It of almost looked like that was uh, distorting their faces like a fisheye, yeah. <laughs> like a fishbowl. Yeah. Uh, so their, de- yeah, their design actually, you said you did not watch the Cloverfield Paradox, right? Not yet. No. Their suit design, for some reason, when I was watching, I know there is no correlation at all between the two, but the suit designs in, um, of the space suits in Cloverfield Paradox sort of remind me a little bit of these. These are definitely more sci-fi, but yeah. those, the, the ones in Cloverfield Paradox are sort of like a nice bridge into a more sci-fi suit. And on one side, it'd be like the sci-fi suit. And on the other side, it'd be like the bulky earth suits that we have right now. <laughs> so it sort of lives in between those two. Tiger, what do you think about the production design in this movie? Like, did you like any of the characters, the creatures, the ships or anything like that? I thought the character designs were kind of generic and I wasn't really a huge fan of them. I was like, they look like, like generic, like uh, kind of anime drawn like characters, like especially the aliens, the aliens I had a problem with because usually with alien designs, you want to make them like little, little more unique kind of be able to, cause like I mentioned before, I didn't know there were two alien races when I first watched this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like kind of like just make them look more unique, like look more alien. So like maybe like add if so it's like oh only one race has like three fingers or something or um just kind of customize it to make them look less human but still kind of more human and in a way they did do that but just not enough not enough do you like. think that they were trying to make it more like aliens we've seen in the Godzilla series like all of the aliens we see in the Godzilla series are humanoid except the Kilaks that turn into those weird silver slugs that yeah, go yeah. into the into the rocks but. Overall, it's pretty much all all humanoid forms. Yeah, but like think about if you look at something like Monster Zero, you have okay. the invaders from Planet X. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. They have at least like a uniform. They've got like a yeah. those like black visor things. They've got like the great jumpsuit. Like you can obviously tell who they are. Sure. Uh, sure. Unless like they're wearing a suit and they're on Earth. That's really the only thing I can think of. But for most of the movie, you know the difference between the humans and then the people from Planet X. In this movie. The only difference is a hair strand and maybe like some facial hair. And that's really <laughs> it. Yeah, I did. And then I think the the one race had something going on with their eyebrow. Yeah. And I don't know if that was protruding from their forehead or. Yeah, the Bila Saludo, they um, had, they, I felt like they had extra facial hair. <laughs> like, but yeah, when I wasn't really connecting with the story right away, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that those guys were alien. And I didn't even notice those kind of features until I was like, oh, yeah, that. That's the other race. And then I started noticing. Yeah, I think stuff. the first time I watched it, I was like halfway through the movie and I was like, wait, there are two alien yeah. races. But <laughs> it's it's I think that's really part of that problem where we are either not getting served up enough information or we're being dropped into a story kind of like Pacific Rim yeah, yeah. dropped into a story right in the middle of something happening. 
Um, I will just go ahead and say that I, I would, I would also consider this movie to have the same kind of issue that Pacific Rim has and where I'm a little more interested in what came before the film than what's happening right now. Like, so all that world building that they're doing, all that stuff I was reading earlier, that big timeline, like that would be the perfect first movie. Don't you think like that's sort of how I felt about Pacific Rim too. I am in 100% agreement with you on, because when you were reading, I, I didn't know that until you were reading it earlier. Mm-hmm. Other than, obviously, they do it in the beginning of the film as well with um, the news bulletins. But I had the same reaction when I'm watching those news bulletins. I will wait until, um, you know, th- the, the three films are complete to completely judge what happens. Sure. And obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at this point, after watching that film, I'm sitting there going, dude, that stuff looks so awesome. Like there's Hedorah, there's, you know, all these little references going really on. It's intriguing and, to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so what about the, the uh, well, let's speak specifically to the monster designs. Like, what do you think about Godzilla's design in this movie? This sort of like, some people have called it Grootzilla. <laughs> some people have called it Grandpazilla. You know, there's some, there's some, uh, Positive and some negative reaction out there to this design. What do you think about it? I call it a 2014 Godzilla because it looked like 2014 Godzilla. So when they first started uh, showing imagery of this, I got kind of upset because I thought it looked way, way, way too much like the 2014 Godzilla. I, I uh, yeah, pretty much like I saw it and I'm like, that doesn't look that much different. Like there, I mean, obviously there's like a few differences, like kind of like the mesh between like the head and the neck, and like you know maybe the overall size is definitely different, but. I, even after seeing it, you but, still think it's too even similar. Even after seeing it, I'm just like, yeah, that's the 2014 Godzilla to me. Like, that's just what it looks like. I just can see like a side by side comparison just yeah. right now. I'm just like, yeah. So it's one like, of the issues that I take with the movie is that they didn't show us a really good image of what Godzilla looks like uh, when he attacks in 2030. Like, what I would love to see is a really good shot of that Godzilla so that I can sort of discern what his evolution has looked like. Obviously, he's massive now. I think that kind of works, though, because if you think about it in, like, an audience perspective, you can see, like, the kind of it's kind of a vague image in the opening, right? So, like, you don't really know. It's like, oh, well, it probably looks the same in the future. Maybe it looks a little bit different. Maybe he's a little bit bigger. Maybe he's, like, kind of like something like, like what they did in Shin Godzilla, or, like, maybe he's got, like, some weird red stuff all over him. But <laughs> uh, And then, like, you know, you got that bit at the end. Um... But yeah, like, I feel like that just would have helped, like, kind of add a mystery to it. Just kind of like, oh, I wonder what Godzilla looks like after all these years. Instead of mm, being like, oh, in 2030, he looks like that. But in this, he looks different. He looks smaller. I think what I'm just talking about this be? from, like, a Godzilla nerd's experience. Like, I want to see what he looked like in 2030 as well as what he looks like now. Sure, I get that. But um, Well, in any excuse for another variant <laughs> toy. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually, um, I was on board with this design pretty much from the beginning. I did have a few reservations because I'm not the biggest fan of 2014's design. Um, and the similarity is hard, you know, at least from silhouettes and whatnot, it's hard to not make that connection. Um, but I remember when they, like Bandai first started putting out images for the, um, figure that was going to come out. And I was, that was the first point where I just kind of stopped and went, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then I went ahead and ordered it anyway. Um, 
that and the Severus. Is that the name of the Servum? Ser- I Servum. believe Ser- um, the unnamed Servum, yeah. in, the unnamed in the movie creature named Servum. So then, which is literally right on that cubby behind Tiger. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and so then when that figure showed up, and you have the Godzilla in your hand, and it's the new Godzilla, and then you start. Being because I mean, the Bandai is not as detailed as that band press, though, that you sure, have. yeah, but it is yeah. still like from those Im- those images that they put, I don't know how they because compared to the image, the actual figure itself for the Bandai is actually a pretty nice figure, yeah. And when I got to actually see up close and you know, see the texture of like the wood thing that that's going on there, yeah, and then the, the leaves yeah. on the dorsal fins and just that coloring, the bluish, whatever. I got really excited. I'm like, this thing, I really like this design. Cool, I think cool. it's cool. And even in execution in the film, I mean, they still don't show him a, a ton. But I thought it worked for being a Godzilla that is supposed to have been around for as long as it's supposed to have been around. Yeah. Just this kind of ancient. And I, I don't mean, I don't know how it's going to play out. When, if, if, and when, and if they explain exactly why he is how he is. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there are any other kaiju on the planet that are not related to Godzilla, right? Because they said the Servum probably were like, yeah, offspring or offshoots of Godzilla. Like, are we going to see any of our familiar kaiju? Make it, a, I mean, aside from Mechagodzilla, yeah. <laughs> but like ones that I, I guess would have been on the planet or evolved or did Godzilla literally wipe out all of those other monsters? It sounds like that's what he, that's sort of what he does. He's here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. King of <laughs> monsters. Right. King of the monsters. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's go ahead and, and move along to that world building. It sounds like you guys enjoyed the world building aspect what would you say was your favorite part of this universe that maybe sets it apart from the the standard Godzilla universe? I very much enjoyed the hostile element of a planet that has been deserted for as long as it has been, mm-hmm. where you come back to this, you know, world where human interaction, human interference hasn't been allowed to, you know, stop how things are going to evolve. I don't know how well they did in this first film actually developing that out other than showing us little bits with the metal breaking on the plant. Yes, absolutely. But my yeah. own imagination, at least from the visuals that I was given, um, was building this up almost as kind of like I said on our Kong Skull, Skull Island episode where, you know, I, I, I want something, this unknown place that we're visiting to be kind of like a terrifying thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was kind of getting that from, how they were explaining it. I, I don't know that they went into it as much as I would have enjoyed. I think you probably could have spent less time talking about the plan and more time, you know, just showing, showing, yeah, yeah, showing yeah, yeah. things happening. Um, but from what little bit we did, I could at least fill in the blanks for something that I thought was potentially really awesome. How about you, T-Bone? There is this uh, movie I love. Uh, I won't love it, but I, I like it a lot. It's uh, Interstellar, and a lot of the stuff in this movie kind of remind me of Interstellar a little bit, of kind of the whole idea where they leave Earth because mm-hmm. they're trying to find a better place to live because Earth is messed up somehow, uh, and kind of like the big ship they're on reminds me of the ship they use in that movie. Um, 
and actually kind of the uniforms they have, like, you know, as like, oh, really? kind of they kind of, they kind of do remind me of Interstellar just a little bit, just a little bit. And honestly, like, I don't like the sci-fi tech stuff. I, I can't really, I th- like some of it just kind of felt generic to me. Like it was like more of taking sources from other things rather than kind of adapting to its own. I do understand that it is military tech and you can't really change much. Mm-hmm. Like, well, of course they're going to have a tank thing. You got to have a, like a flying thing attacking the, attacking the monster. So, you know, making it like super sci-fi and kind of weird, like kind of took me out of it almost. I'm like, I thought the people were like on it, like a dying journey to, to like find a new house. I don't know why I have all this like military tech that kind of like kind of t- like threw me off balance just a tiny mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like took away from my suspension of disbelief. But like, I guess overall it was like fine. Nothing really stood out. I think the only thing that like super like stood out to me is the like razor sharp plants within right. the, within within the planet. I thought that was like, oh, that's 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 clever. It's clever, kind of showing how Earth has changed within twenty thousand years. Sure, like, yeah, there's got to be something, right? Every time one of the bikes explodes and you see the dude falling off the bike, <laughs> there's a part of me that goes like. Did they do that because of some standards and practices thing where like, yeah, you can't show human death, but them tumbling through the air and landing in the forest, I'm sure they didn't survive. That that probably got cut to shreds. I mean, they got tumbled around and stuff. Like they get knocked (laughs) off. They showed a dude shooting himself. Like there's probably not. I was, I was kidding about that. I don't think they really had to go through standards and practices, but, but actually the, you know, that I will say that on a tangent, the suicide that you sort of, see don't see on the screen was actually a little shocking to yeah. see in a Godzilla movie. Um, yeah, it's definitely where they're like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't yeah, I okay. <laughs> the only blood in the entire film. <laughs> like, I mean, it could have been, that could have been like a massager. He could have been like putting a <laughs> massager to his head and then accidentally spilled ketchup the, off the edge of the table when he bumped it. I was, was going to so say relaxed. wine and I'd be like, that's just privilege on that show. That's not really cool. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, for me, I really, I want to know more about the world. And that's one of the things, because I'm a Star Wars kid. I mean, I'm a Star Wars kid more than I'm a monster kid, unfortunately. The Greedo, the Hammerhead, the Walrus Man, the whole Moss Eisley scene, and everything <laughs> about Star Wars aliens. When I was a kid, I was like, more of that, more, 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 please. And I'm kind of like this about the Godzilla stuff here in this animated film. I am dying for there to be... One of these books, like back here yeah, yeah, on the yeah. shelf, that like shows you all the nerdy information. This person is this this height with you know this weight and these <laughs> <laughs> these traits. I don't know why I want all that stuff, but there's something about a, a universe building that I really really enjoy, and I think it's cool as hell that they have decided to make this like uber sci-fi Godzilla because every other Godzilla movie. Every other one is so, so rooted in real life because it was shot live action and you can only do so much. So in some in some ways, I think that the um, I don't think I said it on this podcast, but I felt that the Godzilla design was very lackluster because it's an animated project. And Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, you're not limited by a physical suit that you have to fit a person into like. Let's go crazy with Godzilla. They kind of went crazy with everything else, I think. You know, the uh, the sci-fi tech. I'm, I'm sure they spent a lot of time developing all those little robots and yeah. tanks and ships and stuff like that. And uh, all that backstory, you know, again, I'd love to see that Toho. 
but uh i'm i'm a big fan of the world building in this movie and i'm uh absolutely looking forward to what we see in the next movie like that that little tease at the end the the stinger mm-hmm. i want to know what's up with those people are those aliens are those evolved humans what's the deal so let's talk about the tone of the film it was definitely different than any other Toho tone, I would say, right? Like, it's not what I expected in a Godzilla movie at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, very, it's kind of depressing. And the the tone of the film for me is like, the movie is mostly depressing and the parts that it, where it ramps up are exciting, but they're exciting with a weird uh, caveat at the end. It's like, you can't be too excited for these people because <laughs> they are about to face whatever, whatever is about to happen. It's going to be a hard, hard life for those people unless they just die during the attack. Uh, what did you feel about the, the tone of this film, especially compared to the other, you know, entries in the Godzilla series? I am, when it comes to my science fiction, I mean, I guess I enjoy it all different kinds, but I'm a huge Star Trek fan of the older Star Trek series. And, when it has a little bit more of a positive spin mm-hmm. um and even the obviously the older um Godzilla films that aren't the original film i mean there's a darkness in some of this stuff but i do like that lighthearted fun that comes with it it but again this is something new this is something different so i didn't consider it a negative mm-hmm. um but yeah personal preference um sometimes when you go so dark and no hope for the future, yeah, especially, you know, <laughs> as you get older and live in the world that we live in and the realities of life, I do like to have some hope and <laughs> maybe that is going to come into it. But at the moment in the story right now, stuff is bad, <laughs> bad times, <laughs> grim times ahead. Tiger, what about you, man? What do you think? I mean, you already said that this tone was completely not what you were expecting. Yeah, it was, uh, I'm fine with like a depressing tone. I am all for going for like a different tone than what the previous Godzilla movies had done in the past. In fact, that's actually one thing I was kind of noticing throughout the movie that I kind of liked. I was like, oh, this is something I have not seen before. And I think the genre could really use some, like, like if you look at a movie like Shin Godzilla, Shin Godzilla essentially is being, hey, we're going to take this formula and instead of making a battle scene that lasts five minutes, we're going to act like it's in real time and, like, span it out on, like, a couple of days. So Godzilla doesn't just go into, like, an ocean of water and flee for a little bit. He is in the city and he is still there. And so they're kind of taking it as an active threat. Uh, and so I thought that was really creative and kind of changing the formula a little bit. And this movie was not that. It was, let's just make a whole new thing entirely. Make a Make a monster planet instead of a city or an island make it a whole planet just covered in monsters even though they explored like one bit of it and they're probably going to continue it later but i'm just adding it for now uh <laughs> overall the tone is inc- is uh is interesting i don't think it's like anything like super special like I, there's i feel like i'm like oh, i've kind of seen this before i've kind of seen like the uh space exploration that uh is desperate and there's not really much hope to it, and it's kind of like, ah, if we don't do this, it's gonna fail horribly, and that, and then we'll die, and because we'll be freezing to death <laughs> in space, and you know, hey, remember when this movie was about John F- fun giant monsters? Anyways, it was a, uh, but like I said, it's different. I'm all for going different. 
So I think I think invigorating the, yeah. the genre, or the at least the franchise with different stories is good. Yeah, it makes the movie stand out a little bit more, mm-hmm. and I think that 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 helps it. So back in the '90s, I I am positive I've already said this on the podcast before, but back in the '90s when they resurrected Godzilla after TriStar had their way with him. I did not actually see this press conference, but it has been sort of like recorded for history that Toho had a press conference where they said, we're going to come back with a new series of Godzilla movies. Every single one of them is going to have a brand new director and creative team. And uh, it's all going to be its own individual thing. And there's going to be no continuity between them. And that only lasted like a few movies, Mm -hmm. honestly. But the idea, the idea I thought was solid. And at the end of the Millennium series, what Shogo Tomiyama basically said, we can't keep making Godzilla movies the same way anymore. We have to change it up. And so Godzilla's going on a hiatus until some new blood can come in and really reinvigorate this genre. To me, I feel like these entries, Shin Godzilla, Godzilla Monster Planet, and of course the subsequent two films, because they can't make any live action films until Legendary's all done, that is going to sustain me, at least as a fan, and I honestly hope that it is going to bring in new people. I don't know if this animated film does have much cross appeal to people who loved anime, didn't love Godzilla. Maybe we have some new converts in the Church of Godzilla now. I don't know. But uh, I'm just all for it. I'm all for trying new things. And if, honestly, if the next one were to be a live action kaiju movie with no Godzilla, but it was in the Godzilla universe, I'd be kind of okay with that. You know, I just want to see them do different things and experiment and not treat themselves so seriously, which is weird to say since we just talked about the tone of the film being so dire, but I mean the the genre. like They don't need to treat it so preciously, I think. And anyway, I'm getting off track. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and honestly, they easily could have just sat and collected. I mean, I don't know what their deal is with Legendary, but they could have just sat there and reaped the benefits of that, had that thing in place where they're not supposed to make another film mm-hmm. and done nothing. But they instead, have. they yep. at least tried to do something, and it's keeping not only, I mean, I know this is a, and like you said, I don't know how popular this is with other people that have Netflix, um, and I don't know if it's only popping up in my Netflix feed as watch Godzilla because it knows what kind of things I'm into by the algorithm, or if everybody was seeing that and going, oh, what, there's a Godzilla anime, but um, but it's keeping Godzilla alive. And in people's minds, not only here, but over in Japan. And it, especially when they just had a success with Shin Godzilla. Totally. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, if they were to not be able to do anything and then just lost all of that momentum. It'd be with, depressing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and so I'm at least happy that it exists even just for that. For sure. For sure. Okay. So just super quick, uh, we kind of briefly mentioned like we don't know how well it did um and at one point i was reporting on that and saying that there was some missing information from box office mojo uh when it opened it was actually at number three for the the week that it opened which is actually not too bad for a godzilla movie for japan for japan yeah the following week it was at number five and like specifically shin godzilla blew everything out of the water like sort of 
shook up what we would yeah. normally consider to be normal box office results. Uh, so for the first two weeks, it was number three and then number five. Then when you kick into December, it drops to the eighth place. Still impressed that it's in the top ten for half a month. Uh, however, once you get to the second week of December, it's pretty much out of the top anything. Yeah, so it's not even in the top twenty. So it really took took a pretty pretty steep dive from there. I'm not even sure how long it was in the theaters. But I know that right before I went to Japan, there were only two theaters in Tokyo showing Godzilla Monster Planet. And like literally like three days before I left for the country, that was like the last screening, I think, in Tokyo. I don't know about the other or if they have like art house theaters or anything like that. But were you logging into is there I, I don't know if Netflix is operating yeah. in Japan or not. Yeah. I know they operate outside of the United States, but do you know, Is was it strictly a theatrical release or so did it, was, it get released? It was on theatrical. And then in Netflix, they had it basically worldwide. So if you have Netflix already in Japan, it was right there in your, well, I'd say in your queue, if you added it to your queue beforehand, yeah, yeah. but it, you know, it was ready to watch. But I'm guessing at, at, you know, zero AM on uh, January 17th. So at the same time, we got it. So meaning it had a theatrical release where they couldn't see it on Netflix. Netflix, And then after the theatrical run, it was playing on Netflix. Okay. You know, honestly, I think that Netflix has been knocking it out of the park in many, many cases. And this Godzilla movie, I think absolutely, I think they did a great job. Kind of curious. I think I'm the only one in the room, but I'm not positive. Did anybody else see Devilman Crybaby? Oh, no, I didn't see So that. that's also a Netflix property. Devilman's obviously a very classic yeah. uh, Japanese property from Go Nagai. And so they did, um, I don't know the details behind it, but they did Devilman Crybaby. And it is actually a 2D animated, hand animated nice. production. So it was kind of interesting to watch sort of the two right coinciding with each other. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. The last thing I wanted to talk about really was the soundtrack. The soundtrack is the only thing that I could find that really ties this movie to the classic Godzilla stuff. And that is because it was done by Takayuki Hattori, who is the composer behind Godzilla versus Space Godzilla and Yamato Takeru and Godzilla Millennium. The negative score that I would give this uh, score would have to do more with the fact that we didn't hear the classic Godzilla theme song. Would it kill these modern composers (laughs) to perform a classic Godzilla theme song? And I say perform because Shin Godzilla, they didn't record a new performance for that. So I'm going to argue your opinion. Go ahead. I actually really like the soundtrack they did in this movie. I thought... um, Kind of taking like a oh it's inspired by a sort of tone to it. Um, it really reminded me of Star Wars Rebels because Star Wars really? Rebels has these uh, tracks within the movie within sorry within the show <laughs> that sound like original like John Williams score tracks from like uh, from like Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, A New Hope, etc. But they are they kind of go in a different direction as the as the music takes place. Okay, so like, you think it's going to be one thing, but it's going to end up being something else. Uh, and I, and this anime reminded me of that and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, just like, 
I felt like that having the just kind of like that inspirational tone to it, but kind of making something different kind of, again, makes it stand out more. You know, like I'm, I'm if you want to like perform like a cool, like original track from Godzilla, that's great. Uh, obviously, my, my biggest complaint with Shin Godzilla is I hate the sound design in the movie. And I think using classical sounds to in a modern setting mixed with other modern sound effects like the chain gun hitting the right hitting Godzilla, right. like. I, I don't think that works. But in this movie, in, in Godzilla Monster Planet, I was perfectly fine with the soundtrack. I was like, yeah, that works. No, that, I didn't that, hate the soundtrack. Yeah. My, I, I'm saying my only negative strike against it is that they did not include the classic Godzilla score, which I think is as important as the James Bond theme to James Bond. I, I agree. I completely agree. And I, I don't really know why you would leave it out. Um, when it comes to, I mean, I've only watched this twice now. I usually get a better sense of the actual score when I finally, cause I'm a fan of actually collecting soundtracks and mm-hmm. then actually listening yeah, yeah. to them as if it's just a piece of music, which I have not done with this one yet. Um, and nothing in my first two, two viewings was standing out as good or negative. I wasn't really focusing on it. Sure. Yeah. Um, but that, if that would have come up, while the film was playing, it, that would have been enough. I mean, the connection between visuals and mm-hmm. sound, that is something that we, it's ingrained in us, especially, and maybe they're, you know, the person that's putting it together isn't thinking of that like we are. Yeah. But just like you said, it, they know that when they make James Bond films and they know that when they make. Maybe Takayuki Hattori is just getting old and he forgot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I know. I mean, basically, the, I think there were two spots where a Godzilla theme would have been smart. And that, honestly, the first encounter with the, the very first Godzilla that they had, I think that's where it would have been yeah. perfect to incorporate some kind of Godzilla theme. He's had a lot of themes throughout the years, but some kind of resonant theme that we know to make us go, yeah, that's Godzilla. Not that, you know, calling him Godzilla and making him look like Godzilla isn't enough, but I think it's just a nice tie-in. I definitely think you could have used the Godzilla theme when the giant one shows up. However, uh, I will say that the the one thing that I think Japan has learned from the 2014 Godzilla is how to create an impactful entrance. And that gigantic Earth Godzilla his entrance reminded me a little bit of the legendary one when he shows up for the first time, but much better and much kind of scarier than when that Godzilla shows up. So I think they did a very good job of showing that impending doom (laughs) because it was on its way. But yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I'd have to say negative about the score. Takayuki Hattori did a just very fine job on on the score. There was some stuff in there that uh, we're going to be playing in this episode that's very different from your standard orchestration, and I really enjoyed that very much. Let's move on to our final thoughts. Clancy, final thoughts. Where would you uh, where would you put this? Not in the entire Godzilla pantheon, but like in your enjoyment level. Um, I would put this as something that maybe it didn't live up to the expectations that I had. Like I, I would have loved to have been blown out of the water. Mm-hmm. And when the whole thing is put together, maybe that will happen. I'll look back and go, oh, that was a just the intro and the satisfied. Um, that didn't happen, but that said, it did succeed in making me want to keep watching. Like I really want the next part to come out. 
And especially when you consider everything once they start actually fighting Godzilla. True. I, yes. I, yes. Oh, I, I loved to that all much. of that. I was a little kid when those, you know, shooting speeder bikes. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> so all of that to me, that stuff actually, you know, the action sequences that came later in the film definitely did kind of fall into that. I don't know, maybe not blown out of the water, but I perked up. They were fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 And exciting. I'm very much looking forward to how there's, this is going to play out. And even, even the stuff that I'm not necessarily sold on, mm-hmm. there's all, like you were saying, all these little aspects of wanting to have, like know the history of what's going on and wanting to read up on these characters. And even if it's outside of the film and I mean, I am hooked. So I am in for it. And to me, that's a success. Would you show this to a Kaiju newbie? Uh, no. Yeah. (laughs) How about you, Tiger? I final thoughts. I have a few thoughts on this movie. I thought, so going in was kind of weird because I actually didn't know it was going to be a series. I actually thought it was just going to be a movie on my first viewing. So when I started watching, I was like, this is kind of oddly paced. Like, I feel like they're doing, they're saving all this stuff, like, for the end. And it's, like, mostly that. Like, am I missing something? And I got to the end. I think I asked him, like, oh, it's a series. So they're going to make more later. And I think I kind of, like, fell through that, like, Netflix vibe where they release everything at once. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, so I was a little bit confused. But, hey, I get it. Really, overall, the overall tone of the movie is fine. It's all right. And kind of like Nuts said, would you recommend this to a kaiju newbie? I would say no. Just because I would just be like, well, just go watch a Godzilla film and just see how you feel about it. And if you like this, then go watch the anime if you like anime as well. And just be like, <laughs> well, I like those two things. So there you go. They work pretty nicely. Um, but I don't know because I don't watch anime. So a lot of this is just speculation. Do you like anime? I have Godzilla anime. <laughs> it's right here. It's beautiful. <laughs> so you wouldn't show it to a kaiju newbie, but you did enjoy it, right? I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was just like, fine it didn't blow me away like i didn't really have much expectations going in i was like i'm just expecting a just kind of interesting take on godzilla and i got exactly that quick question what's your favorite godzilla movie right about now it's still tokyo sos tokyo sos changed for like (laughs) four years what's your favorite movie still well no the reason i'm asking is because and you know the other movie you loved as a really young child was Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla from 1993. Mm-hmm. So as a Mechagodzilla fan, how do you feel about this this new Mechagodzilla? They'll use it later in a different segment. Yeah, but did you like what you saw so far? I mean, no, because I barely saw it. You didn't really see anything. Yeah, it looks it it doesn't look like Godzilla, which is weird to me. Like, Yeah, I'm a little, little hesitant because my favorite thing about Mechagodzilla is my favorite thing about that type of monster, which is Every monster should have a robot version monster <laughs> and I will be in just yeah. do it. And it's just by default. If you create a Kaiju, you have to create that Mecha Kaiju. <laughs> exactly. So I'm hoping that it, something happens it when expands. they turn on the on switch and it's like, Oh, he was just shrunk down to yeah. fit into that cargo bay. Now he looks exactly like Godzilla. So I think they're going to need a lot more metal to make God- a Mecha Godzilla battle that yeah. Godzilla. Anyway, final thoughts for me on this is, you know, I I agree with what Clancy's saying, and I would also echo that statement that I should reserve some judgment for the end. There was one point where I said, well, if we're really going to be getting these movies, like, are they all going to show up this year? Like, will we only have to wait eight or nine months before we can put together the whole 
Godzilla anime slash Lord of the Rings trilogy into what we need to know it is eventually. But I thought, you know, it'd be more fun to cover them as they come up. So uh, I'm glad we covered this. I was pleasantly surprised. I've seen it. Like I said, this is probably my fourth time watching it. I anticipate that I will watch this more, actually, especially leading up to the next movie and the following one. And yeah, I would not show it to a kaiju newbie just because I think it's too out of the loop. Like, and, you know, I am definitely interested in finding out if we have earned any more members in our ranks because of, you know, the anime crossover. I find it difficult to believe that that would be a thing, but who knows? Anyway, we did get several listener homework sent in, and we're going to start things off with Eli, who says he started to watch the new Godzilla film on Netflix and not seeing it on the big screen or even on Blu-ray or DVD, it just didn't feel right. And that was basically the whole film. It was just a big mess of not feeling right. It didn't feel like a Godzilla film. It felt more like a video game and not even a good one. Not to say that the film does not have good parts in it, like the end. Pause for comedic effect. See, like how I left that in there for you, Eli? He actually liked the design of Godzilla Earth, but that's about it. Let's hope that the next films will live up to the legacy or at least be worth having Godzilla's name on them. Mike Keller watched Godzilla Planet of the Monsters three times, twice subtitled and once dubbed. His opinion of the film improved with each viewing. He believes that the movie needs to be seen multiple times, as there are things he missed initially that he noticed later, or sometimes things that he was mistaken about. For instance, when the returned space travelers are first exploring the forest, we see someone watching them. Mike first mistook this as one of the Servum, but he later realized that it was a person in a suit. He's certain that this is meant to be a member of the surviving human race that stayed on the planet. And we also see one of these natives at the end of the credits. He also notes that Yuko refers to her cousin Haruo with an honorary senpai most of the time. But this was simply translated as Haruo. Mike assumes Japanese honorifics might contain too much nuance to simply translate for a single word, but personally, he would have translated that as cousin. And yes, the characters are cousins, in case anyone missed it. They have the same grandfather. Mike finds it difficult to judge what is obviously intended as the first part of the story. Netflix has even designated this as a series, but found it interesting enough that he knows he wants to see more. Oh, who is he kidding? He'll watch any Godzilla, no matter the quality. Well, any official Godzilla, anyway. He wonders if the eventual DVD release will house the entire trilogy as a set. Obviously, there are many unanswered questions. The true nature of Godzilla, or Godzilla's, chief among them, he knows that the promo material stated that Godzilla was at least partly plant-based, but this was never stated on screen. Aside from a throwaway line about plants and animals being similar, Mike has to wonder if all the non-Godzilla human life on the planet is now part of one big interconnected network, with Godzilla at its focal point, hence Godzilla Earth. Mike did get the impression that Godzilla Number 2 was directing the Servum's attacks. There are also unanswered questions concerning the two alien races. And it's surprising to learn that the population of all three races combined total a mere 4,000. Both of those groups of aliens arrived in multiple ships. What happened to them? Why aren't they on their own ships instead of trekking along with humanity? He also gets the vague impression that at least the Exif might have something of a sinister agenda we have yet to discover. There is a question whether sabotage happened to the landing crew at Taue. Will that be explored? Mike enjoyed the animation for the most part. He's not a fan of CGI-based animation compared to traditional hand-drawn cell anime, 
but most of the time found that this could pass for hand-drawn art. The only time it looked too CG was when the monsters showed up. You know, the things he cares about the most. Speaking of which, Mike doesn't hate this Godzilla design, but does have problems with it. In some shots, it looks too bulky, and Godzilla's neck somewhat disappears. What is especially disappointing is that a piece of fan art appeared early in the film's production that looked so much better than what we got. Some were touting this as the new Godzilla design, before it was unfortunately revealed to be just fan art. Mike still finds this Godzilla to be an improvement over Shin Godzilla. Something that the movie lacks, however, is an appropriate introduction scene to the Godzilla design on Earth. Similar to what we get, G-Prime makes his appearance. We needed to see something like that to give G-2 a grand entrance. Also, there were far too many fast takes and whipping around during most of Godzilla's appearances. These would be fine if they were edited to be more stationary shots where we could feast our eyes on the monster, but as it is, they make up the majority of the encounter sequences. As Mike noted before, however, his opinion, even with these faults, improved over subsequent viewings. A lingering question, though, is, was a size ever given for Godzilla 2? We know Godzilla Prime is 300 meters, but what about the one we saw throughout most of the movie? He's heard that it might be 50 meters, but thinks that it's probably close to 100. Anyway, he'd like to see something official. In conclusion, Mike would like to say that the past three incarnations of Godzilla have been hitherto unknown or unidentified organisms, and he is of the firm opinion that the next time Godzilla is rebooted, he would like to have his radioactive dinosaur back. Can he please get his radioactive dinosaur back? Adam says, Beautiful animation and epic. Well-directed action sequences combined with terrible writing and unbelievably thick exposition. It creates an interesting futuristic take on the Godzilla story. One of Connor's favorite things about Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters, would have to be Godzilla himself. Seeing the pre-release images of this design didn't impress him, but after seeing the movie, the design became one of his favorites. Connor loved the ancient elder design for Godzilla, and seeing an Earth that has evolved around Godzilla was a great idea that he can't wait to see more of in the next two films. Seeing Godzilla in his smaller size at the halfway point was very imposing, especially when he marched through the army like nothing. Then when Godzilla Earth erupted out of the ground, showing THE Godzilla that attacked Earth all those years ago was awe-inspiring. Connor also liked how the creators tried to make this Godzilla the most overpowered incarnation of all time. Michael says there has never before been a Godzilla movie that has expressed such artistic beauty and power. Like Shin Godzilla before it, Godzilla Planet of the Monsters offered a unique take of the King of Kaiju by giving the audience a story that's both faithful to past interpretations, but is unlike anything we have seen previously. In fact, Michael would say that this movie succeeded where Shin Godzilla failed in terms of strong characters and their development. This film contains a lot of scientific jargon, just as Shin Godzilla had a lot of political jargon, but it enhances the plot rather than hindering it. Given that Michael is studying science as an undergraduate, this made the plot very interesting. Haruo Sakaki reminded him of Eren from Attack on Titan, as well as some of the heroines in Masaki Tezuka's Godzilla films, in terms of his insatiable vengeance that he has against the Big G. Given that he was also voiced by Ultraman Zero himself, Mamoru Miyano, that alone gave him an extra layer of badassitude. The inclusion of other alien races gave it a Star Trek-like feel, and the reference to the black hole aliens and Mechagodzilla was pretty cool. 
There was a clear allude to King Ghidorah, Gigan, and other space monsters when Metfis says that he has seen other alien races destroyed by monsters like Godzilla. This has Michael hoping that more familiar kaiju will show up in the animated universe sometime in the future. It was also pretty strange to see that Karmakaris, Dogara, Hedera, Dagara, Oraga, as well as some other kaiju appeared prior to Godzilla, who was the very last to appear on Earth prior to the human's departure. Godzilla's design wasn't all that appealing, as it was a retread of what we saw in 2014, but he liked how they kept his origin a bit vague. He was also relieved to know that Godzilla wasn't a plant, but nor was he an animal, as he was a new kind of organism altogether. The Servums have kind of a Gauss-like presence to them, and Michael kind of wishes they were used more in the film, and that their attacks would have been more violent. To find that they were a subspecies of Godzilla was a bit odd, as they do not exhibit any of his trademark characteristics. But it just goes to show that Godzilla has completely reshaped the Earth in his own image, further emphasizing the fact that he is not an ordinary organism, but almost like a demigod, as August Rogoni put it in the bonus features of the Godzilla 2014 Blu-ray featurette. The ending perfectly demonstrates this as it shows that no matter how hard humanity tries to defeat him, Godzilla will always find a way out of it. In other words, Godzilla is Shrek, the Earth is his swamp, and the humans are the villagers with their pitchforks and torches saying, Ah, help, run, a big, stupid, ugly kaiju! With Metvi saying to Godzilla, It's been a while, O king of destruction. It has Michael thinking that his race created Godzilla to exterminate humanity. Michael's predictions for the endgame to this is that Godzilla will turn on the aliens, and Haruo will give up his vendetta to help the Big G protect the Earth. This entire experience was one of the better interpretations of Godzilla in recent years. Although the ending was abrupt as well as a few other flaws, he is giving Godzilla Planet of the Monsters a 3 out of 5 stars as it was still a solid movie that has him excited for what Toho will do with this new animated series. Diego says that Godzilla Monster Planet is a nice new take on Godzilla, who is an incredible force of nature that does not care for us. For his first time watching, all the pent-up excitement slash adrenaline might have allowed for the slowed pace near the halfway point to cause a touch of drowsy to hit Diego. He hates to admit it, as he is an anime fan, he had to restart the movie. With the world building out of the way, at least the last 30 minutes were exactly what he wanted. He wants to add he's not a big Netflix watcher. Between the first and second watching of Godzilla Monster Planet, he noted they had a Toshiro Mifune documentary, so he did get to see Haruo Nakajima. With that boost, watching the English-language version was a good experience. I'm assuming he's talking about the anime film now. It was easier to keep up with all the on-screen graphics at the beginning. Four out of five dorsal fins. And he can't wait to see the next two episodes whenever they come out. By the way, that Toshiro Mifune documentary is absolutely fantastic. It is called Mifune, The Last Samurai. You should definitely check it out if you have not seen it, people. Nick says it's difficult to give Godzilla Planet of the Monsters a definitive score. On the one hand, the rather abrupt ending creates a cliffhanger and the promise of a more action-packed chapter. But plenty of film experts can tell you that that's a subpar form of storytelling for feature films. Always give each film, even if it's part of a larger story, a plot that can stand on its own. However, since Part 2 is set to drop just six months after Planet of the Monsters' Japanese theatrical premiere, the story structure for Nick, at least, can be forgiven. In fact, it seems pretty likely that the entire trilogy was originally intended to be one film what was too massive in scope, and credit should be given to Toho for allowing the story room to breathe over 4.5 hours. 
Of course, this is all conjecture. Maybe parts two and three won't advance the story in a satisfactory way, and we'll all be wishing this whole thing was told in a single solid entry instead of three mediocre ones. Predictions aside, the movie we have before us functions solidly as a world and character-building story. He liked the future setting, which put us into uncharted territory of a kaiju film set after the monster apocalypse. We see and understand that the stakes are high and very real. Humanity is down to its final few, and they have nowhere else to go. The dual alien races are a nice nod to the Exilians from Monster Zero and the Black Hole Apes from the Showa Mechagodzilla films. Subtle fan service without bashing us over the head. There's even the illusion that despite all three races coexisting for several years traveling through space, both alien species either had or still harbor ulterior motives of domination, a plot thread Nick hopes gets explored further as the trilogy continues. The action, when it finally happens, is thrilling and unique to a Godzilla film, but there's very little of it. Again, here's to hoping the next chapter ups the ante. There's a lot of promise going ahead, and Nick certainly hopes the next films make good on it all including more character development and more kaiju action. As such, he cannot conclusively give it a score at this time. Boo! Hiss! He knows. But he wants to give this film a fair shake based on its place in the whole as-of-yet-unreleased trilogy. Until then, consider Nick's rating to be a giant, original U.S. theatrical version of Godzilla 2000, cheesy The End, with a question mark. Just as Ben is glad that Legendary's Godzilla films are looking to pay homage to some of the series' earlier entries, he is also excited that Toho is expanding its storytelling into new directions and media with projects like this one. He was glad they took advantage of the fact that this movie was entirely animated and provided us with a futuristic science fiction storyline, replete with loads of mecha, bizarre monsters, and an Earth that might as well be an alien world. As for Godzilla himself, Ben can certainly see why this version might be seen as a little too divergent. Physically, he has a lot of striking features, and much like Shin Godzilla, is drawing a little too much from the power styles of your typical enemy kaiju. But as this is around the 27th filmed design of this beast, Ben is willing to wait and see where it goes. In a similar vein, Ben is looking forward to the next entries in this series, and is eager to see it pop up in his Netflix queue. Now, there is one thing I actually forgot to talk to Tiger and Clancy about, and that was the nods to the older films. I've actually watched the film again since we sat down and watched it for the discussion, and I swear I just keep noticing new things. I did make some notes here. I loved the nods to Monster Zero where the aliens offered to get rid of Godzilla, and that the Exifs are clearly a reference to the ex-aliens. Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla from 1974, obviously the Bela Saludo are the aliens from the third planet of the black hole. I mean, that's the same simian aliens from Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. And of course, their plan is to use a mechanical Godzilla to destroy the real thing. You know, you could also make reference to Godzilla raids again. In both the story that you don't see from the prologue and in the last half of this film, Godzilla is trapped by rocks, much like Godzilla is trapped by the ice at the end of Godzilla Raids again. Now, this one struck me when I first saw it, and I'm guessing that's because I'm such a big fan of Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidra, giant monsters all out attack, and that was that once the EMP probes have punctured Godzilla's back and they're on their way into his body to disrupt whatever is happening... He turns and looks towards the camera. Then, of course, he charges up his ray and explodes into a billion pieces because 
And that's what happened to Godzilla and GMK. Last but not least, the final reference that I will at least make. I mean, I'm sure that there are other things that people can allude to to other Godzilla movies. But the last one that I wanted to talk about was from Mothra vs. Godzilla, a.k.a. Godzilla vs. The Thing. When Godzilla makes his first appearance, he comes out of the ground. And I gotta say, the Earth Godzilla did a much, much more impressive job. Even though the 1964 Godzilla coming out of the ground is like one of people's favorite appearances of all time. I guess I'll say that that definitely beats out the animated Godzilla because it was all shot practically. But just in terms of impressiveness, the Earth Godzilla coming out of the ground was phenomenal. I thought that was really, really well done. You know, I'm kind of surprised that reception to this film has been this lukewarm. I mean, for me, I was very excited to see Godzilla move in new directions. And unfortunately, it looks like this film along with pretty much all the other Godzilla films as of late, have really splintered the fandom. People seem to have a wide spectrum of reception for this film. Some hate it, some love it, some are in the middle, some kind of like it, some kind of don't like it. It's really interesting, and I can't wait to see what's going to be happening in the next installment of Godzilla Monster Planet. Now, my really, truly final thoughts here. Literally, the day after we recorded this discussion, I went to the theater to see Mazinger Z Infinity, a movie with an excellent blend of 2D hand-drawn animation and cel-shaded CGI, making one hell of an adventure. Bob Johnson posted, Seeing Mazinger Z Infinity tonight really made me realize how monumentally bad Godzilla Monster Planet was. The Mazinger film paid homage to the original series, respecting the concept of the creator, but bringing it into today's world with exciting animation and incorporating many of the monsters from the past. The characters were engaging and heroic. The Godzilla anime was long, slow-moving, with endless technobabble and hypothesizing about Godzilla. When he did show up, he was basically a statue that could barely move. It's animation. You can do anything. Mazinger Z Infinity did it. Monster Planet did not. And you know, I have to concur. I am legitimately curious what the differences in these films' budgets was. I'm legitimately curious why they decided to go with such a slow-moving Godzilla and not really explore all of the different animation styles. I'm just kind of curious about that stuff. Now, that being said, yes, I still enjoyed Monster Planet. Yes, I will still watch it again. Yes, you should watch it if you haven't already watched it and watch the sequel and watch the sequel of that because we are Godzilla fans. And that's what we do. We like to watch Godzilla movies. I mean, I don't just like to watch Godzilla movies. I love to watch Godzilla movies. And in fact, next month, we are not watching a Godzilla movie. We are going to be watching another brand new monster movie. Welcome to 2018, people, a.k.a. the year of the kaiju. Pacific Rim Uprising opens in theaters March 23rd, so the deadline is going to be a bit tight. Both you, listener, and I are going to be in a little bit of a mad scramble to make this thing happen. So, I'm sorry to say this, but if you want to get your homework turned in to be part of our Daikaiju discussion for Pacific Rim Uprising, you're going to have to get that turned in by March 27th. That only gives me a few days to record everything and slap it all together. So I really, really hope that you have the time to put your thoughts down about this brand new movie. I'm pretty much looking forward to seeing this film. I want to see how they tie it into the original. I want to see how this new storyline with these new characters plays out against the aliens who were defeated in the last film. But we're going to have to cross that bridge when we get to it. 
To recap, please turn in your homework before March 27th to be included in the Dykeidra discussion. Now, let's go ahead and close out this episode. If you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcatcher and want to follow along, please subscribe to us. You can do that on our website. You can do that through your favorite podcatcher with whatever listening interface you use. Hopefully, we're on them all. If you're on social media, please check out our various feeds, all the links of which can be found on the KaijuCast website at kaijucast.com, where we have every episode available, each one complete with show notes, like this one. Thank you so much for listening to our Godzilla Monster Planet Daikaiju discussion. I'm going to hop into my mech and drive these EMP probes deep into this episode, and I think the flavor of this EMP probe will be XIA's Whiteout, which is annoyingly catchy. Enjoy the earworm, people, and we'll see you for the next KaijuCast installment. Jamata. Oh, no.